anyone got a pencil? Hello, my name's Mark and I'm the host of the Mixtape Podcast where every week on the show I will ask my guests to make up an imaginary mixtape. They'll give it a title and pick six tracks. Track one, what's going to be your intro track, your attention grab, your track one side one that's going to draw me in and make me want to listen to the rest of your tape. Track two, pick a song that you sing loud and proud when you're on your own in the car or the shower. Track three, pick your favorite cover version. Track four, pick a song you wish you could have played to your 18 year old self. Track five, Pick a song that you would put on your mixtape to let the listener know that you are romantically interested. And track six, I'm going to ask them to pick something a little bit obscure, maybe a B-side or an album track. Don't forget to smash that follow or plus sign at the top of the page and you'll be notified every time there's a new episode. And you can follow me on Instagram at the mixtape perf. Hope you enjoy this week's chat. Hello and welcome to this week's mixtape show. And on this week's show, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by reggae royalty, Mr. Al Anderson. How are you, mate? I am very well, sir. And I gratefully appreciate your time and your interest. Uh, likewise, mate. Likewise. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really, really, really appreciate it. So the original Whalers bring in the hits of Bob Marley and the Whalers to Australia. I'll just go through the tour dates real quick. So November the 16th, it's the Triffid in Brisbane. November the 17th, the Manning Bar in Sydney. And November the 18th, the Rosemount Hotel in Perth. And 23rd, the Gov in Adelaide, and the 24th, 170 Russell in Melbourne. Now, the Sydney and Perth dates have already sold out, so you are unlucky there. But if you want to get along to moshticks.com.au for the remaining tickets for those dates, then that is your place to go for tickets. Now, Al, has it been a while since you've been to Australia? Is this your first time? When when were you, were you in Australia last, mate? Oh, gosh. We go every year. New Zealand, Australia is uh, God's country. We we love this area of the world. They've embraced us from the early seventies when Bob was touring with the when we were touring with Bob. Yeah. Um, yeah. Audiences they crashed the fence. Uh, like thousands, thousands of people. One of our our more popular areas. In fact, I blame New Zealand, Australia, Australia, New Zealand for being the key element to bring us to the rest of the world because of they embraced us really early in the game and made it really popular for the rest of the world to understand reggae music and Bob Marley and the Whalers music. Ah. Thumbs up on that one. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. No problem at all. I noticed on your your schedule there, you got a few days break like in between. Do you are you going to be getting out and doing some sightseeing while you're in Australia? What what do you how do you like to go when when you're on tour, mate? I'll do some training, a little light jogging, and uh, get to some nice uh, seafood markets, see some of the country, meet some, go to some nightclubs, and listen to some talent, and just stay active while I'm there. Just uh, move around. Yeah, fantastic. It's yeah, yeah. I always some bands I've spoken to like they they come to Australia. It's a long way to come for some bands, and they're just like lurking around in their hotel room and doing sound check, and then 
going to the show and then coming back to the hotel and not really seeing much of, like you say, God's country where, where we are right now. So, yeah, absolutely. Love to hear you you're getting out and about, mate. Especially with the, the mom and pop guitar stores and the vintage guitar stores. Mm-hmm. I, I really want that to be the major part of my day off is looking for, you know, because Australia have a lot of British influence with mm-hmm. sending from England to Australia. Mm-hmm. So you can find yeah. pretty interesting uh, British old pedals and amps. And you got a lot of good pedal makers because the young, well, the older guy now that made the hot cake which was uh, an overdrive pedal, which was really popular. And I was able to go to literally go to his house and get one from him. I called him and he said, yeah, I'll I'll put one together for you. So uh, musical instruments and, you know, just trying to keep it healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. good food and got some really good wine. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Seafood and wine. That's seafood and wine. That's, that's what we do best mate in Australia for sure. For sure. Tell us a little bit, let's go back, Al, if you, if you wouldn't mind, and and tell us a little bit sort of how you came to be playing in, in Bob Marley's band. And I think you, you were working with Island Records, is that right? And and Traffic, when when you sort of first started working with Bob? No, it started with Richard Branson at Virgin. Oh, okay. And I had met Chris Blackwell in Boston and New York when he was touring with Free and Traffic. Mm-hmm. And I met all the in Free. But when I got to uh, England, the first job that I really had, like I was working at a, at a bakery, at Dorothy Muriel's Bakery in the early 70s in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I befriended, everyone, you know, Brad, Joe, Stephen, and Tom. And so I was selling guitars. I would find vintage guitars throughout the, the tri-state of New York, mm-hmm. and I would bring them to Boston. And I was also working at a, at a bakery. So I had little time to go to New York and go all over Syracuse. Joe Basamana's father, Lem Basamana, had a great store in Syracuse where he would sell me some really great pieces. I'd go up there and buy, grab three or four pieces, bring them to Boston. Aerosmith would buy them. And I got to just buy, sell, trade guitars with a lot of stores up in Boston because I was sneaking into the Berkeley School of Music. I'd sneak into the seminars and get free education. So Boston was a really good spot, but they also had some really fabulous nightclub. Boston Party and just a whole bunch of clubs where Santana, Traffic, Free, Fleetwood, they would all come through town. So I would be there ready to sell anybody a guitar. And I got to meet, Aerosmith was one of the more popular groups in the earlier days. And then it went on to, I met Steve Winwood, Jim Capaldi, and became really good friends. Maynard Ferguson, I knew all the guys in his band. And they, everybody said, oh, man, you need to come over to England. There's plenty of work over here for a guy like you. You like by selling trade guitars, you, you can play. And so as soon as I financially was stable, I took all the, I took Chris Wood was the flute player and saxophonist. And I became really good friends with uh, Paul Kossoff, mm-hmm. who really got to Bob Marley. And I'll get to that in one second. 
-hmm. But it was basically initially getting from Boston to England, got to England, and I didn't have a job. And I was kind of like busking for a, a weekly hotel to stay in. And uh, I found a job that I could uh, do some recording with Delroy Washington, who was a virgin, a Richard Branson uh, production. I was able to work with him and the album became a number one, one song, Freedom Fighters, which I'm not on. I'm on the rest of the tracks. That was that was the great guitarist named Pat Thrall. But one of the songs became like a number one hit. The background band, along with myself, was Oswald. So I played with Oswald was the initial first kind of like record, come to England, come to London, get a gig, and get a job. So it started at Virgin with Richard. And then I heard, you know, I, I had met Chris Blackwell before I met Richard, but I didn't work for Island Records at that time. It was Virgin. And Chris had really cool parties where guys like Jimmy Cliff would be there, Dennis Brown, Gregor Isaacs. So he had the jerk chicken and the plantains and rice and peas and a lot of Mary Jane smoking going on over the island. So I went to one of his parties and I got to reunite with uh, Chris, Paul Kossoff, and the island group of bands that he was promoting and distributing. So it was uh, traffic and free. And one of my favorite groups, Roxy Music, was there. And for all the reasons in the world, I just started to go over to Ireland and hang out. And then I met John Martin, and he was an acoustic mm. uh, songwriter. And Chris was, and Steve Winwood was producing him. And I was doing, I, I became a, I left Virgin because Oswald and Delroy Washington kind of separated. So there was no work at Virgin for me at the moment. So I was just sitting there waiting for something to happen. So I went over to Ireland because Ireland had the the big party scene over there. You got Roxy Music, Nico Eno, uh, Bob Marley was there, who, which I wasn't familiar with Bob Marley and the Whalers music at that time. And the mm -hmm. person that introduced me to Bob Marley's music was basically Paul Kossoff, the lead guitar player from Free. Uh, I used to go to Paul's house. He had an avid, I was a guitar collector. He was a guitar collector. We met in New York and became friends. Got to England, got to reunite with him and Traffic because they used to tour with Traffic at that time. Mm -hmm. And he became like a good friend. I'd go over his house, we'd take down a few pints, have a few joints and just talk music and practice mm -hmm. and play. And, and, you know, he was always writing songs and. He was an interesting character, Paul Kossoff. And one night I was at his house and he had all these old, very expensive 50, late 50s Les Pauls, which I loved. I had one, I had a couple myself. And so he uh, got a telephone call from Chris Blackwell saying, oh, Bob Marley's in town. And I want you to come and put some overdubs on some album I'm gonna release for Bob. And at that time, his health wasn't really good. And he'd been, he'd been hitting the jar really hard. Mm -hmm. 
And so he said, look, I'm with a young American kid. He's a friend of mine. I'll send him over. And he said, well, what's his name? His name is Al. He says, well, I think I know that guy. We're going to send a minicab for him. So they sent the minicab for me, picked me up at Paul Kossoff's house. The guitars were free. And I went to Basin Street Studios in Island, Island Records. And there was Chris Blackwell, Bob Marley. I walked into the studio. I briefly said hello to them, straight into the studio on the guitar, plugged in and said, what do you want me to do? And so they played the, the music from the Nazi Dread album. And I was like, wow, this sounds really cool because just before I came to the studio to do the Nazi Dread overdubs, Paul Kossoff played Catch a Fire and Burning. So he said, this is what these guys sound like. Have you ever heard their music? I said, I don't know of Bob Marley. You know, I knew of Alton Ellison. Dennis Brown was a big star. But Bob Marley and the Whalers had a couple of records out, like Scratch did Soul Rebels. And then they did Catch a Fire and Burning. So he played some songs from Catch a Fire and Burning where I could like calibrate what I was mm. going to hear. But when I got to the studio for the Nazi Dread sessions, that wasn't the rebel music they were playing. Bob had more love songs and his rebel music as well. Mm. So they they kind of played like No Woman, No Cry, So Say, then Bellyful, Roadblock. And I, I was like, wow, I can relate to this. And I know pretty much what to do. So I said, run the tape, let's let's do this. And so they, they started with like a Soja Say or No Woman, No Cry like that. And I think I was playing a little bit too much. I wanted to kind of impress them. So on the first initial, I know No Woman, No Cry, Bob didn't like it. It was, I was playing a little bit too much. And then he said, no, no, man, I want to hear the blues. And I said, okay, what? Well, I think No Woman No Cry is more of a country song to me, like a Nashville thing. And so I, I know just what to do. So we ran the tape back again and I played it a lot slower and a lot more comprehensively. And they loved it. They were shouting in the control room, oh, that's it. You know, that's that's the that's the landing point. And that's the takeoff for this is where we want you to take off and land with these recordings. So and they went on to So Say and Belly Full. And I was playing a little bit hard rock and Bob was like, no, 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 man, I want to hear. That's not what I want to hear. Everyone else is doing that. So then I just said to me, I said inside myself, I said, OK, I need to come up with something to fit what I'm hearing from him. And then it was like, OK, I feel it. So we just ran the reel. I said, the best thing to do is. I didn't really get a chance to listen to the music. I know where the chords were going because it was like a one, four, five progression with some minor. Bob likes major and minor. So I was able to adapt to the chord structure because it wasn't that difficult. I wanted to be where the vocals were and where the chorus and the refrain say something in these spots that would augment his, his first the intro to his verse. Like the, there's the verse, the intro, play something in the intro. Then there's the verse, don't play anything, be kind of silent and then come in where there's a gap going into the chorus. So I had to divide where I could play, where I couldn't play because he didn't want me to play straight through the music 
and just dig in with a whole bunch of distortion and effects and stuff. He wanted a raw, natural sound. And I realized that earlier in the game with that particular album. So I gave him exactly what he kind of wanted to hear and please myself too. And mm -hmm. so I just said, the best thing is just, just run the tape. Let me hear what you have and I'll fill in everywhere. So there was So Just Say, Them Belly Full, uh, No Woman No Cry and Talking Blues and all that. I played acoustic guitar on mm -hmm. and electric guitar. And I just let them run the tape. And I, I think I completed like five, six songs on that album on mm -hmm. like 45 minutes, not even an hour. So they wow. said, oh, I think we enough. Come in and listen to it. And so we went in, we listened to everything from the beginning to the end of maybe an hour worth of uh, recording uh, altogether. And they were really quiet. And then when everything was over, Bob and Chris looked at each other and said, that's it. That's exactly it. That's it. And so I was like, wow, okay. And so I kind of left the studio and didn't get a chance to talk to Chris or Bob. They were just elated that they had completed the overdubs for the guitar parts of the Not Your Dread album. And then like maybe about a week later, Chris uh, got in touch with me through Paul. Call I was at Paul's house again mm -hmm. playing guitar. And then uh, Chris called Paul and said, hey, can you get in touch with Al? He didn't leave a telephone number. He just like mysteriously left. Because, you know, after I did the session, I didn't know Bob and mm -hmm. I didn't really know Chris. I know that they were well pleased about completing the guitar track. So left, they called me back, had a, a meeting with Bob and him. And Bob said, would you come and live with me in Jamaica and, and play a uh, lead guitar for me in the Bob Marvin and Whalers uh, new group? Because he had just, he had just left Peter and Bunny. Hmm. And that was yeah. pretty much yeah. for me was the Nazi Dread album in that order. Yeah. And and you you went on to become very sort of close with Bob and especially in the in the late year of his career and um, talk to us a little bit about about how close you were with Bob and and how he kind of you know wanted you to to continue the the work of the Whalers um, after his passing. The ironic thing was that he said, "Would you would you come with me to Jamaica next week?" And I was like, wow, I, I've got, I just had a, my son, Justin, was just born. And Justin lived in Newcastle and Shildon. So I didn't really want to leave England. I wanted to stay with my son as long as I could. But they decided to give me a percentage and a lot of other things like room and board and transportation. So it sounded like a better deal than I had in London. And it would be better for me to go maybe to Jamaica and work in Jamaica and send the money back to, hmm. to England, you know, because they were going to give me a British deal. So I would be getting pounds that would be, that would be good for my family. So hmm. that I could, I could help my son by having a job because I didn't have a steady job then. So I took the offer, but Bob took me from England to Delaware, his mother's house. And I slept on a sofa for maybe four or five months. Okay. Before I reached. So I stayed with his mother in Delaware and him, his two brothers, Richard and Anthony, and Pearl, his sister, 
his half-sister. And Miss Booker would feed me, and me and Bob would just sit after he, he had a job at that time. So when he came home, we would just sit and play to early morning. He'd get a few hours sleep in, and then he would go to work and then come back. And he'd be with his family, his mother, his half-brother, sisters, and myself. And so I, I just, I did that. And I was like, when are we going to go to Jamaica? And he says, it's, it's not the right time for me to go to Jamaica. And we're going to be here for a while. So I got to know his mother, his whole family. I got to know him because we played every day. But there was a separation of it, like eight hours a day. And when he came home, there was enough time to sit in and play some music. You know, me to get used to him as a songwriter and as a person. And so we got close, you know, his mother was there, his family. You know, they were feeding me. I didn't care about the conditions. You know, it was kind of like a ragamuffin thing, and I went along with it. But then he said, now it's time to go to Jamaica because we're packaging the album. We need some promo and some pictures and stuff. And I believe we did a video before we left with family and Carly and him for Lively Up Yourself. That was another song from the Nazi Dread album I had a lot of fun with and was easy, really easy to do because... If you if you hear if you know if you know that song, you know that it's a really, you know, really bouncy, cool track for anybody to play on. And so he he said it's it's ready now. We'll do the video. We did the video. And then we ended up back at his, you know, his mother's house. And then from his mother's house in Delaware to Jamaica. And I went straight, I went straight from Delaware to his cousin Sledger, Sledger Booker, Miss his mother's uh, family. Bob immediately left with Chris to go to Brazil for a publishing deal. So I was in Kingston, 12, in a gully with my guitar and my suitcase. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Where's Bob? Oh, he won't be back till a couple of weeks. He's in Brazil doing a deal. And I said, well, I don't have a hotel. I don't have anywhere to live. And so I lived with Sledger for two weeks. And then mm -hmm. Bob came back to Kingston from Brazil with Chris Black. Well, they got the distribution deal out there or some publishing, mm -hmm. something like this. And I went straight from the gully in Kingston 12 to Hope Road. But before I got to Hope Road, he took me out to Bull Bay where his, where Rita had just given birth to Stephen. Mm -hmm. Stephen was like a young, and Ziggy and Sadella were at their house there. But there was no room for me. So for when he picked me up at the airport, we drove around to all these hotels. And I really think that Bob wasn't financially secure to take on mm -hmm. like somebody to pay for their rent, rent them a car, feed them every day, so when I got to Bull Bay before Hope Road, it was like, you're on your own. I was like, holy shit. Wow. I don't know what he's saying, you know, because they speak in Patois. I was like, well, this is really difficult. So the first night that Bob picked me up at Norman Manley Airport, December 1973, he drove around to a whole bunch of hotels and I didn't stay in one of them. I slept on the beach right outside his house. Uh -huh. With my guitar and my suitcase, I slept in a lawn chair 
and I was eaten alive by mosquitoes. That was my first night in Kingston. And then he realized that this, this wasn't really nice. And so after some days of that, I ended up in Hope Road. But there was no accommodations there. I had a, a half an inch cardboard cot. I slept on that for a year and a half wow. before they were not to dread. So I got the beat down first. I, from the ground up, I saw Hope Road build, and I learned everything from the floor to the ceiling about what was going on in Hope Road. And I learned the hard way. It, it wasn't easy. I didn't come there, and there was, like, accommodations. There was no house. There was no car. There was no money. There was, He didn't have any money then. Wow. You know, he was really getting his, you know, he spent all this money on catch a fire and burning. And he, when he got his deal for, I believe, Not to Dread, is when he bought Hope Road Studio. But there wasn't anything mm -hmm. in there. So, mm -hmm. Sticko and myself, a guy named Blackskin, Shanti, was all these brothers there that were disciples of the Whalers. And I was part of this crew. We had bananas and peanuts and Fosca oats, and we would make porridge and we would make drink, health drinks, and that kept me alive. There was no money. And then I met Earl Chinna Smith, who took me into the studio. He said, man, I, I like your style. And he says, man, you know, what are you doing? I says, man, I'm, I'm starving. I don't have any money and there's no work because... They were waiting to distribute the Nazi Dread album, get Nazi Dread out in the market, get the promo going for it. So I had to I had to wait in Jamaica and, until it happened. And it took like a year and some. So all that time I was kind of like busking, homeless, sleeping on the floor, a hope road. And then they released Nazi Dread and there were several hit songs. And like I said, Earl Chinna Smith. God bless you, Earl. I love you, man. He got me into the studio, and I was able to fend for myself, buy food, mm. you know, get some basic clothing and stuff. So I lived like the Jamaicans lived. You know, mm. it was poverty, Bob Marley and the Whalers in Kingston 12 at this time. Mm. You know, there wasn't a lot. Bob worked really hard. Peter mm. and Bunny worked really hard to get a recording contract where they could get their just deserves, their royalties, their merchandise. And Chris, honestly, Chris was a very instrumental person with Peter, Bob and Bunny, and especially Bob, at getting the music to the people, to the rest of the world. But what he didn't do was correctly divide the finances were the artists mm. were thought of after the CEOs, the record execs, and the distributors for Island. So we were always working so hard to get our royalties from Island Records. There was never statements. It was really complicated from the beginning. But then after No Woman, No Cry became a number one. Belly Full was a number one. Lively Up Yourself was a number one. Things got 
immensely better. But I never received my just deserves from my humble beginnings coming from Ms. Booker's house mm. until now. And I'm thankful that I was able to live like the Jamaicans lived. Uh, they taught me a lot. I, I, I owe a lot to Jamaica. I'm going to give back as much as I can when I stabilize my my own being now because being with uh, with COVID and all these all these crazy things that are stopping us from bringing music and people together. Financially, it's very difficult for all musicians to make a living when all of a sudden it can all go to a red light where we're just parked mm -hmm. and there's no you know there's no elevation there's we're not going anywhere so luckily enough uh we're able to come and play in australia new zealand switzerland and germany and all of south america and america i'm thankful for what jamaica has me and my affiliation with the whalers because uh, a lot of people think that you know i came to jamaica to separate peter bob and bunny and just play with Bob. I came to Jamaica to play with anybody. I'm mm. a musician. Mm. And I was hoping Bob would get back together with Peter and Bunny because could you imagine Bob just has Nazi Dread, the number one album in the world at one time. And you have Peter and Bunny. Bunny had Black Heart Man and Peter had Legalize It. And all the records that they had done, Catch a Fire Burning. What a catalog to do. You got Peter, Bob and Bunny three of the most amazing songwriters from Jamaica, where I'm a musician that's going to play all their music. That's what I thought. But I, it ended up just working with Bob and then later on leaving the band and working with Peter. Because mm. as the success comes, a lot of other baggage comes along as well. And I'm not mm. knocking anybody. That went for Peter and Bunny. Because they, they thought that, oh, this American guy, He's sent from Chris Blackwell. He's a spy. You know, they bruised me with marijuana joints. They stepped on my shoes. They gave me the worst amplifier. They had a really bad attitude from, for me. But when they saw my intentions, I respected them. I just took it like a soldier. I said, you know what? Eventually, Peter and Bunny will understand that I'm here to support reggae music, not any individual. It was all about you know, I, I felt like, wow, I, I have, a, not as an American, just as a musician, I have the opportunity to help this music get to the right place. And I'll do whatever I can because that's what my job is to do. That's my loyalty to the music. And these artists in Jamaica, I play with a lot of people. I did all the Sunsplash tours. I play with Gregor Isaacs, Dennis Brown, Oswald, Inner Circle, you know, a lot of. I did a lot of things over the years, and I'm really grateful that my humble beginnings got me to where I am today, and I understand what it really takes to uh, keep, you know, going, keep it going. Like Bob said before his journey, he says, a, a lot has happened to him, and a lot is going to happen to you after I reach my destination. But... Do your best to keep the synergy with everybody in the band. Don't jump into, you know, don't jump out of the situation you're in. Stay here 
honor the music that we made together and write your own songs. And that's what he instilled in me for me to call my incarnation of the OG Whalers. I'm one mm -hmm. of the original members of Bob. I played with Peter and Bunny at uh, the arena in Kingston. And I rehearsed with them for weeks, months. So I feel like inside myself, I had something to do with Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, and Bunny Whaler's music. Mm. And it was really that I gave them 100% of what I have. And so the little that I did get financially from it, I spiritually got an overabundance of uh, strength and knowledge on how to mm. continue represent Bob Marley and the Whalers music, my music, and the music that the Whalers created and, and do it really respectfully. I don't want to be a tribute to Bob or Bob Marley and the Whalers. I want to be able to honor the songs that we arranged for Bob and he wrote and also play my original songs so I can be recognized as a musician that writes his own song, sings his own material, along with the guys that are working with the OG Whalers today with me. Now, on that note, we're, we're just about out of time. But thank you so much for sharing your incredible story. I think it's an amazing thing that you're doing, continuing on with the music of Bob and, and bringing your own stuff as well. I can't wait to see you in Perth, mate. Thanks so much for your time. The best place to contact me would be the Original Whalers website. Okay, cool. What I'll do is, if you're listening to this on the radio, uh, it's the Original Whalers website. On the podcast, I will put a link to that website in the description of the podcast. So if you want to connect with Al and the, and the new music, look at the tour dates or, or buy tickets, anything else, the link will be in the description to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Al, thanks again so much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to talk to you today and all the best and good luck with the tour and safe travels mate come and say hello we'll have a we'll have a drink we'll have a, a jar and, and just oh, would that, I'll, would absolutely... I'll bring some vinyl for you too oh that would be fantastic yeah you can see i'm a i'm a collector yeah yeah that is the actual wall of my office in the background there yeah i got one for you ah awesome cheers thanks a lot al really appreciate it mate all yeah. the best mate see you later that was a mixtape podcast thank you so much for listening don't forget to jump up to the top of the page and smash that follow button and you'll be notified every time there's a new episode or follow me on instagram at the mixtape perf until the next time